What's up, y'all? Before we get started, I just want to remind you, today is your last day to nominate CityCast Chicago as best podcast and Hey Chicago as best email newsletter and the Chicago Reader's Best of 2023. We appreciate you sharing us with your friends and family on social media, uh, sending us your texts and voicemails and nominating us is just another way to help more people find CityCast Chicago and Hey Chicago. So thank you very much. Today on CityCast Chicago, we are once again the most corrupt city in America. But hey, we also got the dopest attractions and some of the fanciest restaurants in the country. What can you do? I'm here with lead producer Simone Alisea and producer Michelle Navarro to talk about it all. It's Tuesday, November 7th. I'm Jacoby Cochran, and this is What Chicago's Talking About. Morning, Simone. Hey, good morning, Jacoby. Morning, Michelle. How you feeling? I'm feeling good. How are you? I ain't out here complaining. Excited to have both of y'all on the microphone today to talk. Uh, and we're going to start in a very unfortunate, uh, you know, a very common place for Chicago, for Illinoisans. And that's talking about corruption. A new report has named Chicago once again the country's most corrupt city. We're talking four times in a row Simone, what else does this report say? Yeah, so this is from University of Illinois, Chicago's political science department, and they are analyzing uh, corruption convictions and other public corruption statistics that are published by the U.S. Department of Justice. And basically what they're doing is they are, you know, taking the number like the number of convictions that. Illinois and the Chicago metro area has seen since between 1976 and 2021. They're comparing that to how big our population is to sort of determine which areas of the country are the most corrupt and have been the most corrupt per capita. And what they found was that um, Chicago was number one among metro areas uh, in terms of uh, corruption convictions. It's not surprising. Illinois is uh, number three behind Louisiana and uh, the District of Columbia. Behind. District of Columbia and Louisiana as states are more corrupt. As states. Th- those two names make sense. D.C. and Louisiana. Like, I mean, it also helps that Illinois is home to 12 million people and D.C. is home to, you know, almost not under 700,000 people. So as Mm -hmm. far as, you know, corruption conviction per capita, it's, it's a little bit easier to hit that threshold. Um, but, uh, yeah, like you said, I don't think any of this is especially surprising to Chicagoans, to Illinoisans. I mean, we are literally, as we speak, there is a corrupt, a massive corruption trial happening of a former Chicago alderman, a former alderman Ed Burke, which we talked about on the show yesterday. There's a lot of interesting stuff out of this report. For example, since 1972, uh, 38 Chicago alder persons have been indicted, convicted, or pleaded guilty to corruption charges, thirty-eight. That's that's almost a whole council. That's really that's like quite yeah. close. It's funny. We in the episode yesterday when we were talking about Ed Burke, we mentioned one of the other Ed brothers, Ed Verdoliak, but we failed to mention he also pleaded guilty to corruption back in two thousand and eight. And when you just go through the numbers uh, of older people, when you when you think about uh, uh, city officials. But also, this isn't like you say. It's not just a Chicago problem. Corruption cases in Cicero in Niles, in Markham, in Dixon, right? Across the South suburbs, across the Northwest suburbs, and just the Chicagoland area alone. And it runs all the way up with uh, corruption cases at the 
gubernatorial level. We have multiple governors uh, found guilty of corruption or indicted in some form or fashion. And so as we've talked through this, you know, one of the it feels like the tent poles of Chicago and Illinois politics, which is corruption. We always push back at the end like this shouldn't be our narrative. We this is this isn't something that Chicagoans should just accept. Right. We should elect more honest politicians. Right. Whatever, whatever that means, because I imagine some people thought they did. And then it turns out uh, that they're all uh, is like others before them. Uh, But when reports like this, when you look at the sheer numbers, uh, it's hard to imagine Chicago not being so closely linked with corruption. I think that's why this is so important to track. And it's that very thing. It's our very cynicism that is sort of uh, almost more the issue here is like when you have this history of corruption um, and, you know, it causes your electorate to be skeptical. It, It causes your electorate to say, well, why does it matter if I vote, if I watch what these politicians are doing because they're just going to enrich themselves and and therefore I'm not going to get involved. And then it's a self-fulfilling cycle of, ah, well, the voters aren't looking, so I'm going to go do whatever I want and, you know, get what I need on the side. Like it's, you know, that's what happens. At every level in every office and no office is is against the Chicago police department, Chicago parks districts. You just look across them and it's just misbehavior misbehavior, misbehavior, lack of trust, lack of trust. Michelle, as long as you can remember, when do you think like just the idea that your city that you were growing up with had this sort of black eye on it? When did you start to realize that? I'm thinking about it. And I feel like the whole idea behind the name of the Windy City, like, you know, growing up, I actually thought like, it's it's windy out here. So that's why it's called (laughs) that. Right. But then there's that one day where you learn like, oh, no, actually, it's called the Windy City for other reasons. And it's related to these reasons. And so I don't know. It's it's crazy to think that growing up, I really felt like, and this is like not new to any Chicagoans, but it's really embedded in the culture. Like it's a culture of corruption. I mean, for Pete now. So the hope is that it doesn't run a fifth time in a row. But, you know, they are looking at not only the Airberg trial, but the forthcoming Madigan trial. And that starts next year. So to that point, right, it's worth noting that we are first in the country between 1976 and 2021, right? So that includes all of the convictions from the peak of of when Illinois politicians and Chicago politicians are being convicted on federal charges or 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 uh, you know indicted on federal charges, um, you know, which peaked around the 70s and 80s. Since then, there has been a decline. And if you look at, for example, the last 10 years of data. Chicago is actually only the sixth most corrupt uh, city in the country. And so, you know, this is to say that all hope is not lost here. Yes, four, four, four years in a row to see that headline, Chicago most corrupt city, like, but but when you go beyond the headline is very similar to the to the conversation around, you know, what is uh, Chicago's place in terms of, you know, violent crimes. It's like, wait, if we back up, let's look at these statistics holistically. Things are actually trending down the narrative and, and the monikers aren't wavering quickly. But, but the statistics and the trajectory is saying Chicago is improving on, on both fronts. Uh, exactly. And again, that doesn't you know, that doesn't take away from the fact that we've had we're going to be having what three three, four major corruption trials within three years, right, that that we have covered. Um, it doesn't take away from that, but there is a, at least a trend toward improvement. Um, on the flip side, 
you're talking about numbers and analyzing them, this only looks at federal indictment and, and conviction data. It doesn't look at, you know, uh, uh, violations of state law, for example. It doesn't it also doesn't look at things like, um, you know, as you said, uh, you think about the Chicago Parks District and the, the scandals of, uh, surrounding sexual harassment and abuse among lifeguards, um, you know, that is not really included in these statistics. That element of a, of a, la- a lack of accountability among leadership, um, which I think the average Chicagoan would be like, yeah, that's an example of corruption, but it's not something that is sort of counted in the same way. Last week, we brought up a guide to find dining for beginners. Essentially, we were talking about some of Chicago's most expensive and fanciest restaurants and asking, are they really worth it? Right. Ari Bendersky in our episode felt like, yes, restaurants like uh, Alinea, restaurants like Ever um, are are, you know, their their own benefit to Chicago. And if you go their own experience uh, and between the three of us, you know, we've had our own fancy uh, we've had our, our own fancy meals. Uh, and so I wanted to talk about that with y'all a little bit, sh- share some of y'all experiences on, you know, what was maybe the fanciest or the most expensive meal you had in Chicago and was it worth it to you? Simone? Okay, I'm going to be really honest. I don't think that any meal I have had in Chicago qualifies under <laughs> what we would normally consider fine dining. Like I have been thinking about this since we started recording um, and have been trying to, and I feel like if you can't remember, I feel like you didn't have one of those experiences. Like, I don't think that's how this works. Uh, Yeah. I, I have, um, I was supposed to have tea at the Drake, uh, but got sick. That's as close as I've gotten to, to the finest of dining uh, experiences here in Chicago, which clearly I, I, this is an experience I'm missing out on. No, I, I had tea at the Drake and, and it was it, it was dope. It was a, it was a nice evening and very similar to the conversation where I said, if I'm giving you some money, don't tell me how to dress. I pulled up in just some some cargo pants and a hoodie and it was nice. We was out there uh, pinky ring sipping, um, you know, had our little our small little fancy sandwiches, our little finger foods. I thought it was a good time. They took pictures of us. There was a harpist out there playing. It, it was a nice vibe to me. I will say when I was in there, though, you know, folks was looking at me in my hoodie trying to, you know, trying to throw their chin up at me. Michelle, one another reason this conversation came up is because you told us that you recently stood in the line uh, for a famous sandwich here in Chicago. What was that experience like and where you stopped at? So I went to Kasama for the first time ever. I am definitely part of that crowd where, like, I've heard of Kasama before, but I'm not going to lie I went because I saw it on the bear and it looked so fire. And so I went with one of my really close friends and, you know, people have been talking about the line and I totally see why a lot of people wouldn't want to line up that long. Google told me it was going to be an hour and a half. We got some coffee. We pulled up early. It was a beautiful day. Um, And honestly, it lived up to the hype. I had the daytime menu, so it wasn't like the more expensive dinner time uh, tasting menu they have. I definitely want to do that now. I had the sandwich. Um, so it's the, the hash brown egg and cheese sandwich with the longanisa on it. And it was so soft, so good. Every bite was just incredible. And, and you know, you, you started asking about expense. This is definitely not the most expensive meal I had. Their daytime menu is really affordable. Um, so I had that. I also had just like their Filipino breakfast platter, which had like rice, fried egg, and then your choice of like meat or protein. Um, 
so good. And they have, of course, a lot of pastries, which I heard about, had a blueberry tart. And every bite, it was just like, you just have to go, you know, like when it comes to food, you really do have to go. I do not want to stand in line. And I haven't gone for that reason. I totally feel that. So I would recommend, you know, waking up early, putting in that order online and just going in and picking up at the counter. Um, And I look forward to one day, hopefully, getting my little coins together and checking out the uh, the dinner, because I think that would be just a totally different experience as well. Mm -hmm. I've I've done a few you know, fancier restaurants this past year. I've been to L.I.D. and I did Schwa. Schwa has, I think, some of the best music and playlists of any uh, sort of expensive restaurant that you're going to pay for. But the, the thought I had with this one was it was the summertime and a friend of mine wanted to go to a concert and the tickets were hella expensive. And I was like, OK, so we're clearly we want to we want to do something in this range. Do we want to go to this concert or do we want to go to this meal? I was like, oh, this is going to be my summertime experience. But the best meal I had, um, and it was a little bit pricey, uh, but not too bad, was over at Giant and Logan Square. I did a chef's counter, and they only offer it on, like, Friday and Saturday, where you can, it's like four or six people, I think, can sit right at the counter and, like, watch. And the chefs were so funny that night, having a good time. It was, like, 1030. Um, and my favorite thing there is the bucatini with bacon, jalapeno, and a little bit of anchovy. And it, the pasta is so good. It's so creamy. The bacon is tasty. Um and so I, I love going to Giant. Uh, I, you can't miss. I will listen to the episode to find some of these other restaurants. I got a few on my list that, like you, I'm trying to tick off. I've been to After, but I haven't been to Ever yet. Um, and so there are a few on my list over the next couple of months. But Giant over in Logan Square is probably the, the best meal that I was happy to pay for a couple of times this year. So I'm really curious, Jacoby, how far in advance for some of these restaurants, because Michelle just talked about waiting in a line for an hour and a half, which I, mm-hmm. I'm never going to do. Never, ever, ever. It's never going to happen. Yeah. You're never going to catch me doing that. I'm sorry. <laughs> how far in advance are you making reservations for these things? Mm. It depends. Giant, I've gone same day. Okay. Like you, can, you might be able to find a restaurant same day, day before, a couple days in advance. But schwa... And L Idea, which I went to for my birthday, and they print you out like a nice little menu, uh, write your name on it. Uh, it's got like the L uh, map in the background. Um, th- that was those were probably like three, maybe three weeks ahead of time. Uh, and then when you going up and up, it's, it's some restaurants in Chicago right now. You're not gonna see yeah uh, a, a spot for for a couple of months. I I think too the other thing about Chicago is like I was saying like there's I haven't had any of these experiences of like. These like, you know, Michelin star or even like some of these like James Beard award winning restaurants that they're sort of like are super buzzy and like everyone's trying to get into. But like that said, I have done I've been to the Publican in West Loop, um, uh, Fulton Market, which was great. Also has a uh, West Coast oysters, which was like, I feel like just a luxury that are I find delightful. Um, I will always eat oysters on the half shell if I can find them literally anywhere. And the other thing that comes to mind, too, is uh, last year around this time, we went to uh, the Kendall College uh, dining room, um, which, of course, is a fine dining experience. And that actually was probably closer to like a more traditional fine dining, you know, white napkin, like just that 
that really uh, high-end experience, but is extremely affordable because it is the culinary students who are running the restaurant and who are preparing all the food. It just goes to show you sort of the, when we talk about like fancy restaurants, quote unquote, just like the sheer diversity of what that can mean in a city like Chicago. Y'all may have noticed we're talking about food a lot more, doing more episodes on the podcast. We want to bring y'all in uh, as we try to make this a weekly thing. So if you got anything you're trying to learn about Chicago food, Chicago restaurants, let us know by shooting us a text at 773-780-0246. And if you leave a voicemail, you may hear yourself on the podcast. All right, before we get out of here, we're getting to that time of the year where some of our family members, uh, some of our friends are going to be visiting from out of town. Uh, and I want to know some of the places y'all take people to. Obviously, when we talk about Chicago, you know, people got their feelings about tour spots. Do you go there? Do Is that for Chicagoans? But I want to know, what are some of your favorite tour spots that aren't the Bean? Because as we all know, the Bean is going under some renovations right now. and You can't access it like you usually do. Uh, Michelle, I'm going to start with you. You know, you born and bred in Chicago, have lived outside of the city. What's what's one of those like tourist spots that secretly, you know, you love that mug, no matter what people say. I mean, I'm gonna go with the classic. We've talked about this so many times, but the boat tours are great. Anywhere by the lakefront. My favorite spot to look at the lakefront is by the planetarium. Um, that is probably my favorite view of the city. So just like go late, you could park your car there or to get dropped off and just chill on the grass and look at the skyline at night. I think nothing gets better than that. No, Adler is so dope. And for a long time, um, I didn't really even know how to get over to Northerly Island. I had even been to the Adler Planetarium, but for some reason, I guess I just didn't look right. I saw the cards and was just like, well, that must be a parking lot. Uh, but have since ventured further into there. Uh, and that that is a really cool spot. I, I am, I mean, just anything waterfront, you know, I think sort of I understand Museum Campus Navy Pier sort of get that, you know, we are uh, these are tourist attractions, but they on the waterfront. And if, I, if I'm walking up Lake Path, I'm going to stop in to both of those at some point. Um, Simone, what's a great uh, sort of constantly talked about as a tourist spot, but you love to take people when they come to town? Uh, I mean, Millennium Park actually is is probably the one that I'm like, you know, you get to be downtown and it's so accessible to so many of the other um uh, you know, places you would bring tourists. So for example, if you're trying to go to the Art Institute or trying to go elsewhere in the loop, I will say though, my approach to having people in town is a little bit different, mostly because I'm trying to entertain myself, which means I'm trying to not spend a bunch of time in the loop if I don't have to. Uh, <laughs> so I always like, so it's often like, oh, you want to go to the Art Institute? Well, those tickets are really expensive. What if we went to the National Mexican Art Museum instead uh, in Pilsen, which is free. Uh, and we get to hang out in Pilsen and that's awesome. It's like, oh, you want to go on like a, like a prohibition tour? Like, what if we just went to the green mill, which is around the corner from my house and like, we can learn, go to like a historic bar. That's another, another one of my favorite tourist tricks actually is just find an old bar in your neighborhood. And like, surely there's a bartender there who knows some, who knows some history and you can learn something and get to see some like cool architecture. That's how I like to like to play these things. If I, if I can, if I have my druthers. No, a hundred percent. I love, um, a lot of my family members also love to roller skate. And so it's always a great excuse for us to make our way to the rink over near, uh, Avalon park. And so, uh, but if I'm thinking of like, you know, 
something that I, I don't necessarily think is a tourist attraction, but a lot of people can. It, it's an easy way to get people into the park, whether it's the Garfield Park Conservatory, which is like, you know, easy reason for us to like meet up. at. I've had a few friends come into town and we just do our little walk around and catch up in Garfield Park, go into to the conservatory um, and just sort of use that as our backdrop. I think my, my approach mostly, like you said, is I'm going to try to do things that I would just be regularly doing while you're here. Um, but if, if there is a, an excuse for me to get somebody in the loop now, I've recently gotten it. And a lot of people are going to take a picture outside of the Chicago theater, that marquee sign. Right. Maybe it's always a recognizable name or a recognizable name to someone. Uh, it's the classic Chicago sign. But then last week I went into the theater for the first time and I don't know how long. But obviously it's at an age now when I can appreciate just how beautiful the inside of the Chicago theater was. I went to see Hannibal Burris, who is probably better than ever on stage as a comedian. It was I was crying inside of that theater. But just how beautiful it is, the pictures, the columns, the ceiling, it, it's it's an absolute ridiculous theater. And so take your picture outside and if you can, venture inside at some point and just marvel at uh, how dope that theater is. Next week in our daily newsletter, Hey Chicago, we're going to be talking about tourist spots that aren't the being. Reminder, uh, the bean is undergoing construction, so you can't access it as you usually can. Uh, but we also want to learn what's your approach when your friends and family come from out of town. So make sure you subscribe at chicago.citycast.fm so you can get that newsletter in your inbox every day at 6 a.m. Michelle, Simone, I appreciate y'all making time this morning. Hey, thanks. Thanks for having us. Before we let you go, we got some good news. Join our friends from Eater Chicago tonight in Lincoln Square for a discussion of their latest book, 100 Essential Restaurant Recipes. It's a collection of foods from some of the country's most influential restaurants. It feels like a sort of cross-country food tour all in one book. Speaking of food, in tomorrow's podcast, I head to Uncle Remus in Austin for the very first time. And trust me, you don't want to miss this. <laughs> 